Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Today, we have a very special guest, actually an international guest. Uh, Leah Davidson comes to, a, from, comes to us all the way from Canada. So guys, you are in for a special treat. She's a certified life coach through the Life Coach School and co-founder of H&L Life Coaching. She's also a registered speech language pathologist and has spent over two decades helping people rehabilitate and rebuild their lives following traumatic brain injuries. She's committed to helping people improve their emotional and mental health by building resilience and focusing on the connection between the body, mind, heart, and soul. Leah coaches people who are stressed and overwhelmed by their everyday lives or have specific challenges or adversities they are facing and want to come out stronger. She helps people move from resistance to resilience by cultivating inner strength and confidence so they can create a life that they love. Leah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is awesome. So I love everything about your bio because I feel like my listeners, especially, they struggle with that initial resistance to getting started. And so I am hoping we can have a great conversation today about how to move from resistance to resilience, because I think that is just brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, they're not alone. I think it's normal. We're all there. We all struggle with that resistance. That's what makes us human. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about how you got into this. I mean, Speech language pathology, actually, we have a connection because when I worked in the hospitals, I worked with a lot of speech pathologists. So how did you go from one to the other and where was that, where did that connection come for you? Well, I think I started, um, I started in the hospital like you working uh, in the swallowing area. And then eventually I went into private practice working with traumatic brain injury, as I said. And um, I think one moment, it was probably about 15 years ago, I was going through a divorce myself, actually. And I had just taken um, the wedding ring off my hand, and went to see a young client who was uh, 20 years old had been involved in a car accident and had suffered a pretty significant injury. And while they were doing the MRI for him, they also had found cancer. So he was undergoing cancer treatment. So I was working with him arrived at his house, sat down at his kitchen table where we always work, he looked at my hand, and he was just like, no rings. What are you getting a divorce or something? And I burst into tears (laughs) because it was raw. It was new. And then I was so filled with shame and embarrassment. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This is so completely unprofessional, uh, you know, of me to do this. And I apologized about a million times. And he said to me, you know, just because I'm going through this, like I have this injury and I'm going through cancer treatment does not mean that your pain is any less. It does not mean that your life is, um, or your trials, your, your difficulties are any less than mine. And I think it was at that moment that I did kind of realize, yeah, you know, we do a lot of comparison of, 
you know, whose problem is worse and um, put, putting things on a different scale of which is more painful. And I just realized that everybody has adversity. Everybody has challenges. So as I continued to work with people who had injuries, I would start to see that it wasn't just their injury. It was other areas in their life that they were struggling with. And I decided to add to um, my speech language pathology education, some life coaching. And I just love the tools so much for my clients with injuries, as well as for myself. I just decided I've got to take this to other people. I've got to introduce this to other people because it doesn't matter what your adversity is. You are faced with it and we need support. So I naturally then made um, expanded, I would say, my work in speech pathology to start working with people who didn't just have injuries, who have anything ranging from going through divorce or job loss or another kind of illness to people going through transitions like kids leaving home or, um, you know, job changes or just feeling like they're completely stressed and overwhelmed. That ends up being the dominant thing that I see with people. So that's a bit of my, my story, how I got here. Wow. So, you know, when you were talking, the thing that came to my mind was so many of the clients that come into our nutrition office, it's almost like they're reading a rap sheet, like, but you don't understand because I've got this, 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 and this, and, you know, and part of me, you know, obviously empathizes with that feeling of overwhelm, but the other part is like, well, so does everybody, right? Like, I don't mean that to be rude. I just mean like, you, you know, it feels so much to that person, but everybody on some type of level is dealing with some type of overwhelm. What makes some people push through it and what makes other people paralyzed? Right. And I think that's important to note because, um, you know, when our expectations do not line up with our reality, that is when we suffer. And that's why it doesn't matter what, what the problem is our expectations aren't lined up in reality. We're basically dealt with a hand that we weren't expected and we didn't wanna do. The difference really is, is what do people do with that hand they've been dealt with? You know, sometimes the automatic thing is, well, if I could just change hands. And yeah, if you could just change hands, if you could just say, oh, I don't like this hand I've been dealt with, let, let me pass it off and get a new one, that would be great. But I don't know too many people who've been able to do it. So the difference is, is you look at your hand and you say, okay, this hand is not a great hand, but I am still going to play the best that I can play with this hand. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to walk away from the table. I am going to, I'm going to play this hand. So I think that it is, um, it ends up being a big of mindset piece. You know, they did, they've done studies where they've looked at, um, the science of well-being and happiness. And they said that, you know, 50% of your kind of happiness set point or your well-being set point is genetic personality, what you're predisposed to. I, I sort of look at it, you're, are you a Tigger or are you an Ehor? That's like 50%. Um, 40% is actually your attitude and your perspective and your thoughts and your mindset. 10% is your circumstance. 10% is what is actually happening. 
And I think that's hard to process because most of us think, no, it's like 100% our circumstance. But they've done research over and over and over that have showed like when good things happen, like when people win the lottery, eventually they come back down to their baseline of happiness. And when people are involved in accidents and for example, and they become you know, paraplegic, they come back down to a level set of happiness. It doesn't mean you don't feel the pain and have all the suffering. And, but I think we attribute a lot more to our circumstances than actually research has shown. Wow. So let's put that into practical terms now. <laughs> um, specifically for my audience, you know, those that struggle with, you know, trying to find motivation and momentum to overcome their circumstances, I'm just jumping right in. Like, how do we do that? How do we change the mindset piece so that we're not so overwhelmed and paralyzed when circumstances doesn't seem to be the biggest culprit? I know. Well, first thing I can say is I wish there was a magic pill that we could offer and be like, just take this pill and everything will feel better. Um, but it's not. You know, our circumstances... Um, I think the first thing to think about is adversity is not personal and um, bad things happen in life. Um, I, I um, was trained at life coach school and Brooke Castillo is the founder there. And she taught a principle that was pretty life-changing for me. And she calls it the 50-50 principle. And it's the idea that life is 50-50 just the way it is. Where we run into trouble is with the expectation that we should be happy. And we get a lot of messages about that, right? Like, you know, what do you want in your life? I just want to be happy. Or especially as parents, what do you want for your children? Oh, I just want my children to be happy. And we set them up for that. And then what happens is we go through life and something happens and we're not happy. And then we start to think, well, why am I not happy? There's something wrong with me. So our expectations, again, if our expectations don't meet reality, we suffer. So when we have expectations that are like life should be 100% great or happy, then we're going to have suffering. But if you have, you know what, life is going to be hard 50% of the time. I'm not going to like it 50% of the time. It's not going to change the pain that we feel, but it's not going to add the added layers, the extra layers of suffering that we put on top of pain. So for example, I may be feeling like really anxious or really lonely or really sad, but I'm not going to, on top of it, pile on what's wrong with me. I've got shame because I feel anxious or I'm, I have anxiety because of my anxiety or I'm sad because I'm you know, feeling lonely. I don't have those added layers. So for me, it just, it hit a nice balance where I was able to say when I have hard times, okay, nothing's really gone wrong here. Adversity doesn't discriminate. It's, it's, not, um, it's not a personal thing. Now, granted, there are situations, ups and downs in life. There are some inequalities, which I know in society today that we've got to be really work, working on where we can make a difference. But generally speaking, most of us are going to experience things that we're not asking for. So what we need to do is kind of sit back and say, okay, I didn't ask for this, but I know this is part of the human experience. How am I going to understand joy if I don't know suffering? 
How do I know light if I've never seen darkness? You know, the opposites of things is really how we see the beauty in life, you know, the beauty in the ashes, being able to, to pull ourselves up. So that's always the first thing that I try to teach people, like nothing has gone wrong if right now you feel your life is pretty crappy. This is part of it. Now it's not going to be like this forever. It's also, it's not a permanent thing for, for our, our feelings are not permanent. Our circumstances can be permanent, but our feelings aren't necessarily permanent. So I guess, you know, some of the questions, because now I've got a whole bunch of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> some of the questions that come to mind is, you know, where I see um, my clients getting stuck. It's like, the, okay, so let's go back to that word should, because I remember I went to see, I guess it was called a life coach uh, years ago. And um, basically I was like crying hysterically because everything just felt so overwhelming. Everything felt like it was just a complete mess. And I'm like, I don't even know what you do, but can you fix me? Right. And she's like, well, first of all, you said the word should like 400 times in the past three minutes. So she's like, the first thing that you need to do is eradicate that word from your vocabulary because it's kind of like the same thing. You're yeah. setting, call it stop, stop shitting on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, and she's like, just stop, stop, yeah. stop, stop, stop. Like you're trying to create this thing that is first of all, not even realistic. And then you said, like you said, the piles of shame and frustration that you're adding to it is not helpful. No, not at all. And, you know, I think it comes from our thoughts are what create our feelings. Um, you know, there's a, a direct link. So when you think a certain thought, it elicits a feeling in your body. And sometimes what happens is we have these, I call them sneaky little thoughts. Like they seem really innocent. Like I should be doing this. I should be eating healthier. I should be. It sort of has like this illusion that it's a good thought. But when we ask ourselves, okay, how does that thought make me feel I should be doing this it makes me feel bad it makes me feel guilty it makes me feel like oh one more thing I'm not doing it makes me feel overwhelmed so that is not a helpful thought so I think that the problem with the should words is it's like trying to match us to an ideal which should be good but it usually makes us feel pretty crappy. The should statements are some of the statements and thoughts that will lead us to overwhelm because we end up focusing on things that we think we should be doing rather than staying in the present and doing what we are actually doing and doing something that we can have control of and, and motivating, motivating through. So you have to test your should statement out because some of them are good. Some of them will feel good. Um, but you have to test and ask yourself, how does this thought make me feel? And if it doesn't make me feel something that's going to move me forward, then it may be something that you just want to toss. And then what? Replace and it, replace right? It. Yeah. I could be doing something like this, or it's possible. This is what I'm doing right now. Even if you put on something like, I should be doing this, but I love myself anyways. I like to switch it to, I could, because it opens up to, okay, I should means I should be doing it and I'm not. So I'm, I'm missing out on something. I could be doing this opens the doors up to possibility. I could be, it's an option, 
it's there. It may not necessarily be the right option. It just removes that, that negative connotation that I think the word should has. So let's say you are a person that, you know, should is in your vocabulary way more than it needs to be, or it should be. Um, now I have to be careful with my words here to make it make sense. Um, but, you know, again, I just keep going through, like, what do I see in my office all the time? You know, there's this expectation that's not being met. Therefore, there's complete and utter overwhelm to the point of, like I said, paralysis. Yeah. You know, we it is so incredibly overwhelming that the person literally has no clue, even though they're smart, intelligent people, they have zero clue how to get started because, it just feels yes. like a heavy blanket. Yes. How do we move from that paralysis to being able, is that just, like you said, the mindset piece and changing our words or are there actual actions? Yeah, and I think that do? you have to start with the mindset piece because we we think of overwhelm as like a, an action problem. I have too many things to do, therefore I'm overwhelmed. It's not actually an action problem. It's the thoughts that we have about the things that we have to do. So the first thing is we want to try to catch like what are the culprits of things that we're thinking that are going to lead us to overwhelm. So the should statements are one of them. Another thing that you will find yourself doing if you're feeling overwhelmed, check yourself on that all or nothing thinking. That idea that um, uh there's no shades of gray. I've got to do it all or I've got to do nothing. So if I'm going to go for a run, it's got to be 5k or for, forget about going. I'm going to cook dinner for my kids. It's got to be organic and healthy, or you know, we might as well just eat junk food. Like there's such extremes and that often happens. And when we have the extremes, our brain freaks out when there's shades of gray in between, because it doesn't feel safe. So we want to check in. Is that something? Another thing is um, overwhelm is often caused by that perfectionistic thinking, that idea that um, you set some high standards, they may not even be realistic high standards, and then you go after them and then you're never good enough. And so then it becomes like, well, why bother trying? Why should I think about these things? So you end up doing nothing. And that's where you end up being paralyzed. Um, another big contributor of overwhelm is the idea that we'll say to ourselves, oh, I'm just confused. I just don't know what to do. I just, I can't figure it out. This is just too confusing. Rather than taking a nice deep breath, you know, bringing yourself back to your baseline and say, okay, what do I know? What do I know for sure? And then what is one small step that I can do? So those are some thoughts that you want to catch yourself having because they're probably fueling your overwhelm overwhelm, the should statements, perfectionistic thinking, um, telling ourselves that we're confused, the black or white thinking. And the other thing is the people pleasing is often we find we add ourselves, we add to our to-do lists because other people want us to do things. So we get disconnected with what we actually want to do. And we just spend our time saying yes to everybody else. But when you say yes to everybody else, you are saying no to some things with you. So just being aware that every time I'm saying yes to somebody, it means there's like an opportunity with myself that I may be giving up. So that's always the first place is it is in your thoughts. And, and that's why I love life coaching so much is, is it really does help you organize your brain, pull out, like, are you aware of what thoughts 
when, when your clients are sitting there and they're in that spin, are they able to take a minute and calm themselves down? Because that's the other thing. When we are in a state of overwhelm, we enter the stress response of our body. So we get all jacked up and we, you know, muscle tension, we feel stressed, we can feel anxious, we can feel like we're spinning. And when we are in the stress response, we can't actually access our thinking skills. We can't get to our prefrontal cortex. So you can't be thinking of what to do next because you're spinning. So the number one thing is you've got to breathe. You've got to ground yourself. You've got to get yourself relaxed, relax your body, and then you can start thinking. And when you start thinking, the first thing is asking yourself, okay, what am I telling myself? What am I actually thinking that is fueling this overwhelm? Yeah. Wow. So I'm, I'm again, lots and lots of thoughts. <laughs> I'm feeling overwhelmed with all these thoughts. <laughs> yes, uh, I really am. I'm like, oh, you said that. And then I start to like go in one direction and then you say something else. I'm like, oh, wait, that could supposed to be in another Sorry. direction. No, no, no. It's so great. But I want to go just go back a couple steps because you were mentioning like the perfectionistic, the all or nothing. Like that is literally every diet that every that you you've just mentioned every diet out there. It's a, such a huge list of unrealistic expectations yeah. that you're either doing the rules and you're succeeding, or you mess up one and you're completely failing. Right. And so you know, when we have clients that come into our office, we try to take very small steps, but of course, everybody wants all the steps mm -hmm. because in their head, it's not going to work unless they're doing all That's the right. steps. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so we try to really slow it down and break it down to gain confidence because there's confidence in experience. Right. Um, but you know, in their head, it's not going to work unless we're doing all the stuff. So you know, and that's the message we've been, we've been taught, right. That, that always it, it is all or nothing. There's a lot of all or nothing thinking out there. Um, but the truth is, is it is the small consistent steps that are going to get you moving forward. It is what is the, the smallest thing that I can do consistently to make the change and keep doing that. And that's when you start to see eventually the compound interest as you, I'm sure yeah. you see that with clients when they do that, it just like is this compounding effect um, when you take small consistent steps. Yeah. So I wanna talk a little bit about how do we, you mentioned one thing like, you know, asking yourself, is this thought helpful? Yeah. So that's one of the things that you can always check in with yourself. Um, like, do you do that just in your everyday thoughts? Is that something you journal about? Like, how do you identify? Because I, al I also know that your brain believes whatever you repeat. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us have had thoughts going through our head for so long, we actually don't even recognize that they're untrue and or unhelpful. Mm -hmm. So what is a good way to start realizing what thoughts need to go, which ones need to be replaced so that we can be able to take that deep breath and move forward and realize the world isn't out to get me. This is just my, this is how I feel in the moment and yeah. I can move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that the first place I was to start is a lot of us don't even realize what is in our brain. 
and, and I liken it to a closet. Um, we step into a closet and there's probably stuff in there that, you know, maybe various sizes, things from years ago. And we try to go in and we try to like carefully pull one thing out. And then we think there, I tried it. I tried to clean my closet. It didn't work very well. Really, if you're going to do it a proper closet clean, you know, sort of Marie Kondo style, you got to take it all out. Lay, like get it completely empty, look at everything and then carefully put back what you want to use, put back in your closet. You basically have to do that with your brain as well. So I usually recommend to people on a daily basis, you do what we would call a thought download. So it's just, and there's different ways that you can do it, but basically you're just going to journal out what some of the thoughts are in your mind. Just sit down and I like to do it by topic. You can just do a running commentary, but what ends up happening with me is I'll have like things mixed in like about my kids, with my groceries, with my work. So sometimes I like to do, say I'm having a particular challenge or feeling particularly overwhelmed with one of my kids. Then I'll just, you know, top of the, the paper, write my child's name, all my thoughts that I have. I just empty them out. And then I go through them one by one and I sort of look at them and I ask myself, first of all, is it a fact? Because sometimes what happens is we think that all our thoughts are facts. And a fact is really defined by something that would be provable in a court of law that you could go and get a blood test for. So something like my son is having a hard time in school right now. Is that a fact? Well, not really, because how do we define what a hard time is? How do we define? So that's just a thought. But my son got, you know, 75 on a test the other day, that is a fact because we could go and we can prove and we can say 75. So I like to go through with my thoughts and just run a highlighter over all the facts. And out of my page, I would say there's probably under 10% are facts, things that are provable in a court of law, things that that's sort of like the boring things in life. Nobody's going to disagree. Everybody's going to see the same thing. Then I look and I see the rest of what I have on my paper. They're, they're my thoughts. Thoughts are 100% optional. I get to choose whatever I want to think. Now, some things I have thought like for a very long time. So they feel like very strong beliefs. They feel like fact, but they are just optional. And when I look at them, I then ask myself, how does that thought make me feel? And you know, it's a good thought for you. If you like the way you feel when you say that thought, if it's, making you feel a way that you don't want to feel, it's just good to be aware. Now, when I work with people, we eventually get to how we're going to change our thoughts. But I'd say at the beginning, it's just becoming aware of like, what's in your closet? What kind of thoughts do you have? Do you have certain thoughts that keep coming up over and over and over again? And when people have overwhelm, they tend to have the same thoughts coming over and over and over again. It's basically, you know, overwhelm is just like an enormous amount of thoughts just bombarding your brain and that creating multiple feelings. And so it's like a huge emotional swirl in your brain that we just caption it as overwhelm. So when you do these thought downloads, you're able to see these individual thoughts and ask yourself, okay, how does this one make me feel? And that can lead to the question of, is this helpful for me to have this thought or is it harmful? Does it help me move forward or does it keep me stuck? 
And overwhelm is really a feeling of stuckness. There's, there's nothing productive about it. We're just always going to be staying stuck. So you want to see what are the thoughts that are causing that feeling? <laughs> now I'm laughing again, because here I go with all my thoughts that I want to download right now about what you just said. You know, sometimes I think though, that people use the term overwhelm as a crutch. Mm -hmm. I mean, would you say that like, so it's easier to say I'm overwhelmed than it is to say I'm scared or I'm hundred percent frustrated yeah. or I, you know, I don't want to, I actually don't want to move forward with this goal, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I think giving people the, the safe space to say, I don't want to do this. I feel like I should because mm -hmm. society, everyone around me, magazines, social media tells me I should look at, but I don't want to do that. And, you know, what would you say mm -hmm. to something, you know, when somebody's hiding behind that confusion of overwhelm, how do you help them work through that? Well, I think you're bang on that overwhelm is an, it's what we call an indulgent emotion. So if you think of the word indulgent, like when it comes in terms of food, an indulgent food is a food that like really tastes great. It's kind of comforting. It feels good, but it doesn't necessarily have any nutritional value and you don't really need to have it. You have it because you want to indulge. Overwhelm is that kind of emotion that it doesn't really serve a purpose. It's not like, you know, there's, there's um, other emotions and including, I don't like to call them positive or negative. All emotions are kind of experiences, but think of something like grief. Grief is an emotion that while it may not be comfortable, it is something that helps us move through different situations we have in life. Overwhelm doesn't help you move through anything. It just keeps you stuck. So I do think that it does become a source of indulgence. And I know a lot of people don't like hearing that because it, but that's just our brain. I'm not saying you're doing it purposefully and you're trying to get away with anything. Our brain is doing that. Our brain is like, you know, if we say we're overwhelmed, we don't have to do anything about it. We don't have to figure things out. We can just stay stuck. So recognizing when you feel overwhelmed, it's indulgent. Then the second piece is it is covering up, you know, overwhelm is like a collection of all the different emotions that we have. I like to liken it to, it's like you have this giant sea filled with emotions. And so in your sea or ocean, whatever you want to call it, you've got like frustration and confusion and loneliness and boredom. And, and there's even good emotions, excitement and, and peace. There's lots of things mixed in there. But when they swirl all together, it's like this big, messy thing that we have to carry around with us. We don't even know what we're feeling. We just feel overwhelmed. So one of the things that I, I recommend is that you start piecing your life out into separate, and I call them separate ponds, you know, going from the sea or the ocean and creating separate little ponds. So you might create a pond that's about your work, about your health, about your relationship, about your kids or even one per kid and go through and write your thoughts about that individual area and see what feelings come up. You may find that actually, I feel like I'm overwhelmed with anything, but it's really only in these couple of areas and the feeling that comes up, say with work is maybe frustration, 
Maybe the feeling that comes up with um, something to do with my, my child is anxiety. And then the feeling that comes up with maybe a health goal would be shame. Now, all of a sudden, instead of being like, I'm so overwhelmed with everything in my life, you have a little bit more concrete things to work on. I can work with anxiety and I need to learn how to process. And that's a whole other thing. How do we process emotions? But I need to learn how to process anxiety. I need to learn how to process shame. I need to learn how to process whatever other emotion. But there are other areas in my life that I actually, you know, they're pretty good. So it's not my whole life. So when we can identify the individual feelings and work on those, we can walk away from the overwhelm. It doesn't have to be that all or nothing. I'm overwhelmed or there's nothing. No, we're all going to have like different feelings in different areas of our life that we, we want to be working on. I love that so much because you're right. You know, we use these blanket statements because in, in our head, it, it, we've think that that's true. We believe that all of it is contributing, but when you break it down, it's usually just mm -hmm. one area that's bleeding into another. Exactly. And that's what happens. Like the best example is like, think of yourself at work and you maybe have a really difficult day and you're irritated with a coworker or a boss. And so you leave and you're feeling totally irritated and frustrated. You drive home, you come inside. One of your kids says something to you, you explode on them. It wasn't the kid that triggered the explosion. It's because you had an experience that you had an emotional reaction to at work and now you brought it home and it's bleeding into the other areas of your life. And so you're going to explode on, you know, your child or vice versa. You're going to have a bad morning. It's hard to get the kids out the door. You can be frustrated. You're running late. You arrive at work and somebody says something to you. You're a little snippier than usual. You've allowed all these things to bleed into each other. And when you do that, then you're, you're never really feeling at peace anywhere. You have to try to identify what the emotion is associated to the experience so that you can keep it there and process it there and allow yourself a little bit of space when you transition between activities. So you're not just allowing emotions to spill over everywhere that you're able to say, okay, I'm feeling irritated. I'm feeling frustrated. I know I'm about to see my kids now. Maybe I can take a few deep breaths. Maybe I could do some like quick jotting down journaling so I can remember these feelings for tomorrow. Maybe I can call a friend to vent before I come inside, but you just start having a little bit more awareness of the kind of emotions, the individual emotions that are being triggered in different situations before you just let them bleed all over into every area of your life. Right. Well, and I would say that 99.9% .9 of my clients that overeat at night, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just a result of that. It's that culmination yep. where it all, it's bleeding all together. So it just feels like everything Yep. is overwhelming. And since I can't, I don't even know where to start and how to deal with that. Let me just go eat because yeah, exactly. that feels safe and familiar and yeah. will make me feel better temporarily. And at least for those, you know, 10, 15 seconds, yeah. I can pretend that everything is okay. Yeah. But then 
lo and behold, guess what? You then add shame to the Well, that's the exactly usually what happens. Well, it's so interesting, especially when it comes to eating or any other kind of distraction that, that you do, is we're usually distracting ourselves from having to feel an emotion that is unpleasant. Like, we, you know, all those negative quote unquote ones that we said, you know, loneliness, boredom, shame, guilt. And so we turn to something else because it temporarily allows us to feel better. We can forget about it. So we'll turn to overeat, overdrink, overshop, overwork, whatever it is. But the problem is, is there's usually like a net negative result at the end of that. And now like, okay, I just sat and binged or I just spent so much money and now I feel guilt and now I feel shame and I put myself in another situation. So we're trying to run from the negative emotions. We actually are creating more negative emotions and that creates a cycle because now I feel even worse. And what am I going to do? I've got to find another way to numb out. And I'm going to numb out by doing one of these things. And that's that cycle that we just create instead of stopping and saying, okay, what is the emotion that I'm feeling right now? I don't want to numb out. I don't want it bleeding into everything else. What am I feeling and learning how to sit with that emotion and just allow it to be there because life is 50, 50, nothing's gone wrong. If you feel that emotion. Yeah. I did a podcast episode Oh gosh, I don't even know. It was a couple, maybe 10 or 10 episodes before. And it was all about people that are good at losing weight, know how to sit and be uncomfortable. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, and with the, the weight piece, isn't it true that it's discomfort now or discomfort later? You're not going to avoid the discomfort. You're either going to be discomfort now because I don't want to feel this emotion and I have this urge and I really want to give into it. And I know it's going to make me feel better for 30 seconds. And then you take it and you have it and you eat. And then what happens is you go through shame and you feel, why did I do that? So you get discomfort. So it's almost like making that choice. Listen, in the beginning, you're not going to get away from discomfort. You're either going to have to deal with it up front or you're going to deal with it afterwards. Because I think sometimes we think like, well, I'll just get rid of it now. But we, yeah, but think a little bit further. The consequence is always there. Sometimes we feel worse afterwards. Right. And then, like you said, piggybacking off of that is then being able to identify what coping strategies you have that are perpetuating the problem versus solving it. And then play around with your coping strategies, try different things and then see how you feel and make note of the ones that actually make you feel better and repeat them. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You've got to explore. It's like a little experiment, you know, that there's and coping strategies work differently for different people. You have to see which ones work for you, but you always have to look at how, how do I end up feeling? Everything we do is driven by how we want to feel. So that is sort of your test. Does what I'm doing allow me to feel a way that I want to feel and get the result that I want in my life? And that's how you know if it's effective, because for some people, one coping mechanism may not be effective, but for other people, it may be great. It depends on how you feel and what results you're getting when you do it. I love it. I love it. Leah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Anything else that you, that we missed or that would be helpful in, you know, a final statement or whatever about this, this feeling of overwhelm and how to, to move through it. 
I think I just want to highlight, you know, the importance of self-regulation and the importance of, um, you know, getting yourself to a place of calm. Everything that we do that puts us in a stress response, anything that we do when we're feeling tense and overwhelm is definitely something that's going to trigger a stress response. Our first go-to line of action always needs to be getting to calm. How do I breathe? How do I find, you know, relaxation? And, and I think that that is what allows us to open up the creative channels, open up the thinking, the flexibility to be able to come up with good coping strategies. We can't go from being like super, super stressed and figuring out how to fix it. It doesn't work that way. Physiologically, our brain, it can't go from stress to the thinking. It's got to get to the, the relaxation, the rest and digest response first. So I think that's what people to be mindful. If you are feeling overwhelmed, stop, take a breath, you know, relax yourself, do a quick body check. Where am I feeling tense? And just like, you know, release all that muscle tension um, because that is pretty powerful. We can do so much more in our life when we are able to regulate ourselves into a relaxed state. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. Cause you're right. I'm just reflecting on my own journey and what, what I get overwhelmed with. And I try to like power through it and it, it makes everything feel heavier. Yes. So take the opposite approach and relax everything. Allow, like you said, oxygen to get to the prefrontal cortex, allow that other oh, option that. to come to the surface. Um, that's really great advice. Thank you for that. You're so welcome. Um, all right, Leah. So at the end of every one of our episodes, we share a recipe. And so I'm going to ask if there is a favorite go-to recipe that you like to um, either eat for a meal or a snack idea, just something to share with our listeners. Well, I sort of cheat a little bit because I was like, well, one of my favorite recipes are all the things that I can sort of buy that are already done for you and you put them together. Um, so I love making these, uh, they're salmon sandwiches. So I'll just get some salmon and grill the salmon. I'll put on a little bit of like salmon spice or whatever. I don't know. The spices in Canada, I think are probably different. You guys have so many better things in the U.S. The spices. And then I take um, a bun. I toast the bun a little bit. I spread on a little bit of guacamole. I put the cooked salmon on top and then I take like a mango salsa that I will just prepare, just chop up mangoes, red peppers, onions with some cilantro, a little bit of lime juice, top that on top of the salmon and put the bun on top. If you are worried about your carbs, I just actually just have it as an open face and just enjoy eating that. It is quick, it is refreshing, and I usually feel pretty good eating it because I know I'm getting a lot of nutrients in it as well. I love it. I love it. Right. I mean, I, I was going to say, I usually will do like the, the salmon, but throwing it with the, the avocado, the guacamole, yes. and the mango. I mean, how can that be wrong? Everything yes, about it sounds so delicious. Good. And it is easy. Like in my grocery store, you can buy, obviously buy prepackaged guacamole. And then you can also buy, um, like my grocery store makes the mango. It's just red peppers, mango and onions. You can already buy it pre, pre chopped and a little cilantro and some lime juice. And so it's quick and easy, but you can, you can make it. I've often just taken an avocado and just mashed it and with a little bit of lime or lemon juice and, and put that on. I'm wondering even if you can, because 
now, now I'm curious as to what is different in the States versus in Canada in terms we don't of have Trader Joe's. <laughs> we actually don't have a lot of things. You'd be amazed. I've been, um, uh, I've done macros before and followed some different, you know, people on Instagram who, who do macros and play around with that. And so many of the recommendations they have, I'm like, well, we don't have that. We don't have that. We don't have that. So, yeah. Well, do you, could you even do like those little salmon foil packs? Um, do you have them? I don't have what, I don't know what those are, but I'm sure you could. <laughs> They do you have like pretty easy? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Cause I usually make like um I have a salmon cake recipe where I will buy instead of salmon in like a tuna can, like a can, they come in little foil packets. So they're already drained and oh. ready to go. So think of like tuna that's already oh, like okay. been rinsed, been drained, and just all you have to do is flake it. They sell them in little foil packs, but they also serve um they sell salmon in foil packs. Oh. So you literally, it's already pre-cooked. You would that's just super easy. dump it on. I'm just thinking that might even make that recipe even easier because totally would. Yeah. You got people because that are a combination over of flavors, you know, the avocado with the mango. Yes. Is, yeah. It's really, and get like a really good bread, a good toasty bun. That's really fresh. It's, it's a great sandwich. Yeah. Well, as I say, we have a bunch of overwhelmed people that need quick, easy recipes, but they're not overwhelmed anymore after they've listened to this, this podcast and they yeah. got such great action tips. So Leah, we appreciate you being here today. It was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So Leah, tell us a little bit more about how we can learn more about you and, you know, where are, where are you at in the, on the internet and in social media so we can learn more about your your great work. Well, if you like some of the things that I talked about, I do have a podcast called Building Resilience. So you can hear a lot more of me there. Um, and on Instagram and Facebook, I am at hl. Uh, sorry, hl. Yeah, hl.lifecoaching. I don't even know my own handle. Um, and our website is www.hl-lifecoaching.com. I have actually a business partner that uh, we work together with. She's Heather. I'm Leah. So that's the H and L. Got it. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm sure people will be checking it out because you gave us a ton of great information. Um, again, it's that mindset piece that we talk about so often. Don't rush through this part. You know, this is the part that's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I should do that sometime. And then that's go on it. through your day. That's not well, how that's it works. Why I didn't even want to say to you, how do you change your thoughts? How do you do the actions? I'm like, you know, at this stage, the, one of the best things you can just do is just to be aware by being aware of things like awareness helps you make changes automatically. Like your brain just, it was like, I didn't know that before. So that's yeah. why mindset is so powerful because sometimes you just shift, be aware of what you're thinking, shift it just slightly and I mean, the world opens up. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, thank you again, Leah, for being here. Um, that is all we have for today. So thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricspa.com. Or you can find us on socials. We're on Instagram at Bodymetrics Health, 
or on Facebook at Bodymetrics Health and Wellness Services. The book, Nourish, Eat, Repeat, is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.